Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. The hand in mine used to be my little sister's. Ava was born when I was 12, and she looked up to me the way most children looked up to their parents, not their siblings. Her father abandoned us a few months before she was born, and our mother worked long hours at menial jobs to provide for us, so I ended up being Ava's world. I understood the pressure my mother was under, and I loved my little sister, so I never complained about babysitting after school and during the summers. Ava was mischievous, loving, precocious, and had a stubborn streak that rivaled mine, and I devoted every free moment to her. Although she did love our mother, I was the one Ava came to when she had stories to share, wanted answers to a question, or was frightened by nightmares. Her attachment to me was fed by her admiration, and I enjoyed being her protector and guide as we navigated the world together. With Ava's hand in mine, we would walk to the park or the library and spend the afternoons there until supper time which is when we would go home so I could cook, do my homework, and clean the house. After supper, I would sing Ava to sleep and leave dinner in the oven for our mother before turning in for the night. The next morning, during breakfast, Ava would perform the highlights of the previous day to our mother, her innocent exuberance softening the looming stress of the grueling day ahead. It was a routine we had grown accustomed to, and we made the most of it thankful for our health and each other. After graduating high school, I chose to stay home and help my mother support the family. She opposed my decision, insisting that I apply for scholarships and follow my dreams, but I told her my dreams could wait. I didn't want Ava to feel abandoned at such a young age. My mother gave me a tight, grateful hug and promised she would try to take a few days off so we could have our first family road trip. That road trip created unforgettable memories, all tarnished in a single instant when a drunk driver collided with our car, taking my sister's life along with his own. My mother and I survived, but not without misfortune. Along with our injuries and grief, our stay at the hospital revealed that I would be losing my entire left arm and that she had previously undiagnosed cancer. After we were discharged, I remained with my mother. The funeral and our medical expenses had left us in debt, and our loss had wrung our hearts. We needed each other. It was a difficult road for us, learning to cope with our mourning, our diagnosis, my amputation, and our poverty. With my inability to leave the house during my recovery, and with no close family and no time for friends, the entire burden fell on my indomitable mother as she held three jobs that left her exhausted, her hands rough and cracked. Yet she never once complained and accepted her fate with grace. Without my sister to devote my time to, 
I doubled down on the housework to make up for my uselessness. But this proved to be a challenge. Although I didn't lose my dominant hand, I still had to relearn how to calibrate my balance and perform basic tasks such as washing up, dressing, eating, cleaning, and cooking. It didn't help that my brain continued believing my left arm existed, leading me to rely on my phantom limb to support myself or hold things. With my well-intentioned help, more often than not, ending up catastrophic, my mother suggested I take it easy until I got used to my new state. I reluctantly agreed. One evening as I was crying in my room, a startling sensation in my phantom limb interrupted my self-loathing. I sat up, my tears forgotten as I stared at the empty space where my arm would be. I felt a hand in mine, a small, soft, familiar hand gripping me tight, as tight as when we used to cross the streets to go to the park or the library. Ava? I whispered. The fingers pressed down one after the other, the way Ava's did when she was happy, and my tears started anew. I ran to my mother, and after the initial shock of being woken up, she hugged me as we both wept in a mixture of sorrow and exultation. She wiped my tears with her calloused, bony fingers and said this was my sister's way of thanking me for being there for her, by now being there for me. Ava's hand never faltered, providing me with comfort throughout the duration of my recovery. Her constant presence also served to keep my left arm occupied, and my mind grew to accept the permanent contact and stopped volunteering my phantom limb to perform impossible tasks. In return, I resumed singing to Ava at night. Her grip would never go lax the way a sleeping person's would, but I knew she enjoyed it as her fingers pressed down one after the other to the melody. With my mother and sister's support, I adapted to my new reality, as I learned to manage my pain and maneuver without difficulty. Once I felt capable of holding down a job, I walked into town armed with optimism, my resume, and my mother's blessing. As I navigated the sidewalks, I found myself subconsciously following my sister's subtle tugging, now aware of her guidance, curiosity took over, and I followed until I ended up at Henrietta's health hut. Confused, I walked in, and Henrietta welcomed me with more compassion than usual. Aware of our circumstances, she asked if I needed a job and offered me a part-time cashier position. I was beyond grateful. The next day when Ava guided me to Earl's Auto, I had my resume ready and managed to secure a part-time job cleaning and polishing his rows of used cars. A week later, Ava guided me to Benjapins, where Benjamin hired me as the evening counter attendant at his bowling alley. My mother and I came to call Ava my guardian angel. Whenever she tugged at my hand, I followed her lead. Sometimes she would usher me towards opportunities. Sometimes she would protect me from injury or unsavory situations. And sometimes, the purpose of her guidance was a mystery, but I always abided without hesitation. Yet despite my guardian angel's help, my mother and I weren't able to earn enough to pay off our debts, nor were we able to afford chemotherapy or medical relief. After four months, my mother became too weak for her labor-intensive jobs and had to resign. In desperation, I reached out to the community. 
I took a day off to set up a donation stand in front of the local library and a few sympathetic people passed by to offer their support and donations. Our town's residents weren't wealthy, so every penny was received with heartfelt gratitude. After seeking charity for most of the day, the sun began to set and foot traffic dwindled. Ava tugged at my arm, signaling it was time to go, and I rubbed the fatigue and tears out of my eyes as I packed up to head home. Distracted by my morose thoughts and Ava's impatient tugging, I fumbled with my poster and jumped in surprise when a pair of hands reached out to help. Ava's tugging became urgent, and I tensed up as I turned to face the stranger, only to have my breath taken by a pair of expressive brown eyes. Hey there, didn't mean to scare you, the young woman said with a bright smile. Just look like you could use some help. What you got here? She took my poster and inspected it, her sunny expression shifting to sorrow. Oh, I'm sorry about your mother. How'd the fundraising go? Everyone helped as much as they could, I replied, my pulse racing with a mixture of emotions. Her breezy confidence was unusual in our town, and I wondered if that was why my guardian angel was apprehensive. Are you new here? I don't think I've seen you around before. Yup. She smiled and reached a hand out. The name's Quinn. I inherited my uncle's house after he passed away. Got me out of the hellhole I was in before. Just wish he left me some money too. She chuckled and I couldn't help but smile, my wariness ebbing despite Ava's agitation. Welcome. I'm Maya, I said, shaking her hand. I'm sorry about your uncle. Don't be. He died doing what he loved. The old kook. You may have known him. He used to own the Sugar Daddy candy shop around the corner before he shut it down. She leaned over, her breath minty as she whispered. A bit of a risque name for this quaint little town if you ask me. I laughed, trying to ignore the butterflies in my stomach. He did get a lot of flack for that. But he was really generous so people forgave him. He used to give my sister and me free gummy bears. That's the guy. She rolled up my poster and snapped a rubber band around it, her gaze lingering on my collections box. How much did you make? Ava's warning returned to the forefront and I slid the box closer to me, gripping it tight. None of your business. You're right, you're right, I I'm sorry. That was pretty rude of me. I was just asking because I don't think you'd be able to collect enough with this method. Have you tried asking for donations online? Her sincerity was disarming. No, I don't know how to do that, I replied after a second of hesitation. I do. If you have time, we can go up to the library right now and set it up. Quinn gave me a warm smile, and I eased up as I smiled back. That's really kind of you. Thank you. We spent the early evening in the library as we set up a crowdfunding campaign and Ava's tugging became background noise as Quinn's earnest advice and unreserved personality drew me in. It was only when I felt a sharp pain in my phantom limb that I jumped in shock, aware that I had been ignoring my guardian angel. I blathered out a mixture of appreciation and apology before I left Quinn at the library. Flustered and ashamed, 
as I wondered if Ava had wanted me to go back because my mother needed me. I ran home expecting the worst, and I sighed in relief when my mother greeted me with a tired yet affectionate smile. I didn't understand Ava's actions, but I was certain there was a valid reason behind them. She always guided me right, and I was grateful for her protection and help. Yet I couldn't help but acknowledge how, had I listened to her, I never would have met Quinn, who offered me hope in our darkest time. The crowdfunding campaign was a moderate success, and it raised a decent amount. Unfortunately, it was too little, too late. The doctor said the money would be better spent making my mother comfortable during her last months, so I hired a stay-at-home nurse to tend to her while I worked my three jobs to support us and pay off our debts. I wished I could thank Quinn for her help, but we never exchanged contact information, nor did we ever bump into each other on the streets. I assume she may have realized this town was too small for her, sold her uncle's place, and left to the greener pastures my mother always wished for me. I tried to never question Ava's counsel again, but one afternoon, my obedience was tested during my one-hour break between jobs. On Tuesdays and Wednesdays, my sister would guide me to the sub-bus, a sandwich shop near Henrietta's health hut. But today was Monday, and I was looking forward to Grover's tomato soup. As I neared Grover's cafe, Ava pulled my arm in the opposite direction, and I stumbled to a halt. My smile fading in disappointment, I turned to walk away but my cravings made me look back. My mouth twisted in deliberation. I calculated a quick compromise. Instead of dining in, I would take my tomato soup to go. I took a few hopeful steps towards the cafe, but Ava yanked my arm in the opposite direction once again. Sighing in defeat, I acquiesced, certain my guardian angel was protecting me from some perceived danger. I shuffled away, only to jump as someone called out to me. Hey, Maya, wait. I turned around and my mouth fell open when I saw Quinn running up to me, a Grover's Cafe apron tied around her waist. Ava frantically pulled at my arm, but I didn't listen as my heart performed a few somersaults. Have you been avoiding me? Quinn asked as she stood in front of me, her arms crossed. I know you come to Grover's when I'm not working there, because he keeps raving about the one-armed girl who lives for his tomato soup. And today I take over Carrie's shift and here you are playing tug-of-war with yourself, afraid to come in. What? No, I didn't even know. I trailed off, my eyes expanding as I realized the lengths my guardian angel had gone to just to keep Quinn and me apart. Ava had an aversion to Quinn herself. I just didn't know why. Misreading my reaction, Quinn laughed. Hey, I'm just kidding. Didn't mean to put you on the spot. A hopeful look replaced her joviality. How's your mother? Did the crowdfunding work? Her concern eased my mind. Oh, uh, yes it did. It wasn't enough for chemo, but she now has meds and an in-home nurse always with her. Doris is amazing, so I can work knowing my mom's in good hands. After a beat, I shrugged off my sister's forceful tugging and said, I'd like to thank you. Can I treat you to coffee sometime? Quinn grinned. How about in 15 minutes? Oh, uh, I have to be at Earl's Auto in 45, and 
and after I, I work at Benjapin's till midnight. Then come in. We'll get you some tomato soup, and after my shift, I'll join you for the remaining half hour and walk you to Earl's. How's that? I smiled. Okay. Hoping to understand why Ava's reaction to Quinn conflicted with mine, I hit Quinn with rapid-fire questions more personal and intense than the ones I had asked in the library. She replied with humor and candor, joking that this wasn't the first time she'd been interrogated, and I found myself captivated by her experiences and outlook. In return, she hit me back with her own rapid-fire questions and listened to my answers with interest. Although life had taught me early on to guard my inclination, the ease I felt sharing my history, dreams, and interests with Quinn pushed the initial attraction to the next level. I didn't solve the mystery of Ava's aversion, and I didn't care. When I went home later that evening, I was exhausted, yet exhilarated. I bounced in my step as I told my mother the news. She was so happy for me that I omitted the mention of my guardian angel's disapproval. And to appease my sister, I continued to follow her leadership and sing her to sleep. She appeared to have forgiven me, not minding that Quinn and I kept in touch via phone calls and texts. But when it came to seeing Quinn in person again, Ava wasn't pleased. Quinn and I met up at a shabby arcade not far from where I lived. Despite Ava's distraction, we managed to collect enough tickets to win a prize, and I made a beeline towards the two-for-one keychains. I searched the baskets and narrowed my choices to the glittery plastic starfish. What's your favorite color? I asked Quinn. Orange. Yours? I like blue, I replied as I tugged through the starfish until I found an orange one. Couldn't you have said pink? Quinn joked as she sifted through the predominantly pink collection. I chuckled and clipped the orange starfish to the strap of my messenger bag. Did you know starfish can regrow their arms if they lose them? I'm glad I can't, because then I wouldn't have a... I swallowed my words, and Quinn looked up from the basket she was rummaging in. Wouldn't have a what? Throughout all our conversations, I never once mentioned my guardian angel. I didn't want to then, and I wasn't sure I wanted to now. Ava was something personal to me, and I wasn't ready to share her presence and influence with Quinn. Not yet. Nothing, I said. I just meant things happen for a reason, so we shouldn't be upset or regretful. Because there might be a miracle behind it. Deep, Quinn said with an exaggerated nod of contemplation. I had no idea you were so spiritual. She laughed as I gave her a playful nudge with my hip. Oh, shush, I said. She resumed her search and managed to fish out an elusive blue starfish. She studied it for a few seconds, and I gasped when she snapped off one of its arms. What'd you do that for? I asked. Quinn gave me a mischievous smile. To see if it'll grow back. I smacked her shoulder and she chuckled as she clipped the starfish on the buckle of her backpack. I think it looks perfect this way. She hooked her arm in mine. Come on, let's get out of here. I feel like ice cream. My treat. While we shared a banana split, I winced as the sensations in my phantom limb evolved from urgent pulling to sharp pangs, almost as though Ava was digging her nails into my flesh. Quinn noticed my discomfort. You don't look so hot. 
Are you okay? Yeah, just standard phantom limb pain. I grimaced after a particularly vicious pang, my stomach turning. Actually, I I'm sorry. I, I think I need to go home and rest. I set my spoon down with an apologetic smile and stood up. Thank you for the ice cream. Next time we should try poppies. My treat. Quinn stood up as well. Sure, but I'm not letting you walk alone like this. It's okay, I'll be fine. I live in the opposite direction of you anyways. I don't care if you live in Timbuktu, she said, tossing the leftover ice cream in the trash. Let's get you home. She hooked her arm in mine, supporting me the entire walk to my house, and she gave me a quick peck on the lips before we bid each other goodnight. With my fluttering heart at odds with my abused limb, I researched all I could about Quinn online, but I couldn't find a shred of evidence to support my guardian angel's antipathy. After asking Doris for some privacy, I told my mother the truth. She wiped my confused tears and held my hand in her calloused, bony ones, comforting me as we tried to come up with reason and remedy. She suggested that, as my guardian angel, Ava may be protecting me from the disapproving eyes of our straight-laced community. To pacify my sister, I stroked the air where her hand would be latched onto mine and assured her I could handle myself. When the discomfort persisted, I sang to her for an entire hour until my voice became hoarse. She didn't relent, and, giving up, I resorted to taking painkillers as I curled up next to my mother, her love and warmth soothing me to sleep. The next morning, I was relieved to find Ava's peaceful hand in mine, but her nails dug their way into my flesh again when I opened a message from Quinn. She had sent me a website detailing at-home remedies for phantom limb pain. Touched by her gesture and frustrated by Ava, I tried to reassure my sister of my awareness and conviction, but she didn't realize her vicious grip until after I closed the website. The following weeks were a battle, as my stubbornness challenged my guardian angels. I dutifully sang to her and followed her lead for every occasion. Yet I wouldn't listen when it came to avoiding Quinn. In return, Ava punished me with her bitter tantrums. Although the side glances Quinn and I got in public were a reality, I couldn't understand why Ava refused to acknowledge the positive influence Quinn had on my life, as her presence lightened my mood, soothed my stress, and suspended my troubles. When I introduced Quinn to my mother, it felt as though she had always been a part of the family. Even Doris took a liking to her, as Quinn would drop by while I was at work to cheer my mother up with her anecdotes and jokes. I was certain my mother's approval and happiness would convince Ava that Quinn wasn't a threat, but my sister remained stubborn. Whenever Quinn noticed my pain, she would offer to help in any way. Once, as we sat in the mirrored booths of Lorraine's Diner awaiting our milkshakes, Quinn began massaging my right arm while I looked at my reflection to force my brain into thinking it was my left arm. Her gentle touch satiated my heart, but it didn't dissuade Ava. It also didn't amuse Lorraine, who banned us from her diner. Since Quinn got the last word in, proclaiming that Lorraine's milkshakes tasted like curdled orcs pus, we were also banned from other establishments run by Lorraine's family. Two were hair salons, and one was the daycare 
that had accepted Ava in return for my mother's cleaning services. So Quinn and I weren't inconvenienced, but our exclusion only supported my guardian angel's point of view. After a particularly unpleasant day, we snuggled on the couch, and Quinn leaned her head against mine as she said, One day, we're going to leave this crappy town behind. Yeah, and find us a paradise 50,000 miles away. She chuckled. That'd bring us right back here. What do you mean? 50,000 miles is almost exactly twice around the world. Oh. My mom always wishes for me to follow my dreams and find happiness 50,000 miles away from this miserable town. You still could, Quinn quickly said. Sorry, I was just being pedantic. It's only true if we go around the fattest part of the earth, and my math's probably way off too. I smiled. Or maybe her wish was for me to find you, right here, just in a roundabout way. Emotion softened her eyes, and she held me close as she joked. Well, now that we've traveled 50,000 miles to find each other, finding a paradise far from this dump should be a piece of cake. Although traveling anywhere was a fanciful dream, I shared it with my sister, hoping to reassure her that the future was bright if we could just be patient. But patience was never one of Ava's strong suits. During the first few months, I tolerated the penalty, the happiness I felt being with Quinn outweighing any discomfort. But with each new date, the pain increased in duration and intensity until it was an agonizing constant. I would spend the nights crying as it felt like Ava was biting and clawing at my phantom limb with savage abandon. Nothing provided relief, and my strained, desperate singing failed to appease her. My mother would often stay up to soothe me, and I felt terrible knowing how much pain she was in herself, yet unable to reassure her as I sobbed against her frail body. The torment reached a point where I could barely focus on my jobs. After receiving a barrage of complaints from customers returning the wrong-sized bowling shoes, what I dreaded most became reality when Benjamin remorsefully had to let me go. Devastated, I knew Ava had won. I discussed the options with my mother, and she gave me a sad smile and wished me strength as we both agreed on what I had to do. With a heavy heart, I invited Quinn over. The moment she saw my face, she held my clammy, trembling hand in concern. What's going on? Is it your mom? No. My mom's okay. As okay as she could be. Quinn swept the damp hair off of my forehead. Is it your phantom limb? I don't get why you refuse to see a specialist. Doris is right. Suffering like this isn't normal. I keep telling you we could set up another crowdfunding campaign. No, Quinn, I... I pushed through the pain and took a nervous breath. Remember when I told you about my little sister? Yes. Ava, right? I nodded. Well, I never told you that she... She holds my hand. My left hand. She's been helping me, leading me far from all the bad stuff and guiding me to all the good stuff in my life. And from the first day I met you, she's been trying to pull me away. So she doesn't think I'm one of the good stuff in your life? Quinn asked, half joking as she tried to follow along. I know it sounds crazy, I said holding back tears. 
but she's the reason I have this pain. She's hurting me because she's angry I disobeyed her. She doesn't want us to be together. Quinn let go of my hand and frowned in confusion. Oi, you're serious. You want me to believe that? Your little sister's ghost is punishing you for dating me by taking it out on your missing arm? I nodded, sniffling. You're an amazing person, Quinn. You're the reason I've been bearing all this pain. But I can't. Not anymore. It's getting worse and I've already lost my job at Benjapins. I can't afford to get fired from the rest. We have to stop seeing each other. In a desperate attempt to justify this forced breakup, I gauged Quinn's reaction as I said, Ava's my guardian angel. She protects me. It's like she knows the future and can see people's secrets and intentions. Quinn's innocent, puzzled expression filled me with shame at my veiled accusation. I knew she wasn't malicious, but I had selfishly hoped to ease my heartbreak by uncovering a more reasonable explanation for Ava's disapproval. But now there was no denying my guardian angel's viewpoint. I looked down in defeat. I think Ava believes this town won't accept you and me together. I've tried over and over to convince her that I'll be okay, but she's stubborn. She thinks she's protecting me. She's only six. She doesn't know any better. She doesn't know this will hurt me just as much. I began crying as my heart contorted. I'm sorry. After a few silent seconds, Quinn cleared her throat. Ava? You're only six, so I'll keep this simple. I promise to leave your big sister alone, as long as you promise to stop being such a meanie to her. I turned my head up in surprise and caught her shooting a stern look at where my left hand would be. Her eyes then traveled up to meet mine, and she gave me a soft smile that teetered between playful and tragic. I emitted a tearful chuckle before I stifled a sob. If this is what it takes, then I hope it works and you never feel pain ever again, she said, tucking my hair behind my ear. Overwhelmed, I reached out to hug her but the pain spiked and I drew back, gasping. Quinn winced in sympathy and stepped away, her hands up in surrender. I'm sorry, I whispered, grimacing. Don't be. You deserve a happy life, Maya. And if me leaving brings you a tiny step closer to that, I'm ready to do it yesterday. She paused, then whispered. But if you ever need me, I'll always be there for you and your mom. Just ask, okay? I nodded, sniffling, and she nodded back in her smile, not enough to mask the emotions behind her eyes. I watched through my tears as she walked out into the night, her four-limbed starfish glittering a farewell as it swayed on the buckle of her backpack. I spent the evening in agony, my heart broken, my arm ravaged, my memories enshrined. When morning rolled around, the pain subsided, and I gave my mother the bittersweet news knowing she was suffering just as much, seeing her daughter grieve and writhe. With her sad smile now a permanent fixture, she pointed to the orange starfish I had fashioned into a pendant, and I broke down again, burying myself in her arms. Despite my aching heart, I went about my usual routine, red-eyed and glum as I abided by Ava's wishes. While walking to the sub-bus during my break, I reflexively stood still when Ava tugged my arm down. 
too lost in melancholy thoughts to wonder if she was saving me from a speeding bicycle or a falling potted plant. I was jolted back to reality when a man tackled me to the ground and landed on top of me, knocking my breath out. A split second later, glass exploded behind us and I ducked under him, shielding myself from the hail of shards. When the commotion died down, the man got to his feet, brushing the glass out of his hair and jacket before helping me up off the dirty snow. Around us, a crowd of onlookers gawked at a runaway tire that had crashed through the display of Rhonda's boutique. I stared in disbelief, wondering how Ava could have miscalculated the risk. The man snapped his fingers in front of my face, asking if I was okay, and I shook myself out of my daze as I nodded, thanking him. He told me to pay attention to my surroundings next time, and I apologized before I made my way over to the sub-bus, confused and shaken. After collecting myself, I gave Ava the benefit of the doubt, and continued to follow her lead for the rest of the day, not keen on experiencing phantom torment again. I tried to take the man's advice and remain alert, instead of blindly obeying my guardian angel, but habits were difficult to break especially when the heart and mind were preoccupied. While walking home with groceries later that evening, I followed Ava down a path I rarely took at night. Exhausted, cold, and downcast, I didn't notice a trio of men emerging from the shadows until they approached me, catcalling. I tensed up and tried to walk by without incident, but one of them grabbed the empty sleeve of my winter jacket and yanked me back. My fight or flight incited, I dropped my groceries and slipped out of the jacket, leaving everything behind as I bolted home. I arrived at my front door, soaked with sweat, snow, and tears, as I shivered against the cold and adrenaline. My mother was asleep, but Doris noticed my state and comforted me, helping me report the incident before she ran me a hot bath and cobbled together some dinner. I thanked her for going beyond her duties as she tucked me in and assured me that the police will catch my assailants. I nodded, but I was more disquieted by my guardian angel's change of behavior. Hoping to ease Ava's deadly petulance, I sang her favorite songs, tears streaming down my face as I longed for Quinn's warmth, humor, and compassion. Despite my efforts at appeasing her, the next day Ava continued to lead me towards perilous situations. I had no choice but to ignore her in order to survive. To my dismay, the disregarded tugs amplified to pain. Once more, as Ava's little fingernails found their way deep inside my phantom flesh, I clenched my jaw, determined not to let her affect my routine. But tears lined my eyes as I wondered what I could have done to deserve such punishment. I apologized to Ava yet again for ignoring her in favor of Quinn and begged for her forgiveness. Then I froze as an alternate theory materialized in my mind. Quinn wasn't a threat to me. She was a threat to Ava. Ava was loved and coddled as my little sister and cherished and revered as my guiding star, my protector, my savior. She and my mother were the sole occupants of my heart and mind the three of us an unbreakable supportive unit. Then, Quinn found her way in, saving me in a different way. To my mother, Quinn was always welcome. To my sister, 
Quinn was competition. Quinn divided my attention, occupied my time, and earned my gratitude, and Ava must have felt her esteemed position threatened. She forced me to banish Quinn from my life, but she didn't realize that Quinn would remain in my heart and mind, her place forever preserved. This permanent restructuring must not have suited Ava. After experiencing her hazardous guidance despite my renewed obedience, I wondered if her childlike selfishness was demanding I join her in the afterlife, hand in hand with my pure and undivided attention, as we were in life. That night wincing against the pain, I curled up in my mother's skeletal frame and told her my suspicions regarding Ava and her jealousy. My mother remained silent, her calloused, bony fingers, tracing the features of my face with tenderness and deliberation, as if she was trying to memorize them. Realizing my insensitivity, I kissed her, apologizing for making her life more difficult than it needed to be. She gave me her sad smile and patted her heart, and I patted mine back, holding back tears as I hugged her as tight as I could without hurting her. Before bed, I tried to reason with Ava, explaining how no one would ever take her place, and I didn't want to lose my guardian angel. I assured her that Quinn's memory wasn't a threat, and that heartache will diminish over time, but Ava's nails refused to relent. I appealed to her compassion, as I reminded her that our mother was sick and needed me, but that didn't sway Ava either. The next morning, I walked at Henrietta's health hut, with hollow eyes and a clenched jaw, frustrated yet determined not to let Ava's unjust punishment distract me from my responsibilities. I had barely begun my shift when the digging nails were replaced by the petulant biting and scratching. I managed to power through them as I greeted customers and scanned their herbal supplements and protein shakes. But when the pain escalated to unfamiliar levels, I had to brace myself against the counter, my heart straining with each sharp pang. Sweat trickled down my face as I tried to maintain my professionalism, but after fumbling with Mr. Wilmer's items, he called out to Henrietta in disgust. He blamed my unnatural state on my aberrant lifestyle, but she ignored his complaints as she escorted me to her office and sat me down on her couch. Through tears and sobs, I apologized and begged Henrietta not to fire me, claiming that I only had a migraine. She was quick to assure me that I was an invaluable employee, as she popped open a bottle of natural painkillers and handed me a juice box. She then closed the lights, lowered the blinds, and told me to lie down and relax while she took over my shift. Left alone in the room, I ignored the painkillers and juice, my stomach twisting and heaving. The pain was no longer a child's tantrum, but bona fide torture. My skin flayed, my muscles peeled, my raw nerves pulled apart strand by strand. My heart stuttered and lurched against the suffocating agony, and I clawed at my arm's vacated space as I begged Ava for mercy. She was relentless, and I welled in despair as her goal became clear. If I wasn't going to be led to my death, then I was going to be driven to it. Although death's promise of relief seduced me, I refused to succumb. My mother needed me. I had to fight but I couldn't do it alone. Amidst flashes of blinding pain and my flowing tears, I managed to call Quinn. Hey, Maya. My voice came out a taut squeak as I grimaced against the pain. 
Quinn. Maya, is everything okay? Is it your mom? No. Is it the phantom limb pain? I sobbed, my despairing yes fragmented. I'm leaving work right now. Are you at Henrietta's? Yes. I'm running over. I'll be there in five. We're going to get through this, okay? I whispered a strained okay before I hung up, my phone tumbling out of my hand as a bout of nausea washed over me. I groaned, gasping for air as my vision speckled and the blood drained from my face. I lay down, but the heartless mutilation of my arm continued, and I buried my face in the cushions as I bawled, my tormented screams muffled. Wave upon wave of agony twisted my soul and unraveled my sanity, each spasm an assault that drew me closer to the grave. My beleaguered heart convulsed as I writhed against the couch, my sweat-soaked shirt plastered to my skin, every desperate breath competing with a cry for mercy. And then mercy was granted. A deep trembling breath filled my lungs as relief shrouded me, soothing my limp, haggard frame. I felt as though I had surfaced from a ravenous abyss and landed in paradise, every atom celebrating its emancipation. I sat up shaking in bewilderment, joined my exhausted relief. My phantom limb was completely liberated. The pain was gone, but so was Ava. My left arm felt almost foreign without the ethereal contact I had grown accustomed to. A mixture of motions incited fresh tears. Ava must have recognized Quinn's sincerity in our last phone call, realized her treatment was unfair and chose to pass on and rest in peace. I was going to miss my guardian angel's protection, guidance, and company, but I wasn't going to miss her jealousy and stubbornness. It was time for both of us to move on. I stood up on unsteady legs, ready to resume my shift and prove my worth as an invaluable employee. I reached for the box of tissues on Henrietta's desk, only to flinch when a hand found mine once again. I froze as I held my breath, hoping this merciful break wasn't a cruel taunt, but confusion eclipsed my dread. The hand in mine wasn't my little sister's. It was bigger. The calloused, bony fingers, gentle as they gave me a reassuring squeeze, and lingered for a few seconds before they released me. My legs buckled, and I fell to my knees. My head bowed in stunned silence. Doris's ringtone chimed from my phone. There was a commotion outside. Someone touched my shoulder. I looked up dazed. Quinn's eyes searched mine before she pulled me close and held me tight. Our starfish pendants clinking. I leaned my trembling head against her shoulder, tears of sorrow merging with those of relief.